Hey, I'm Andy. I'm Andy. And you're listening to the HMO Podcast. Over 10 years ago, I set myself the challenge of building my own property portfolio. And what began as a short-term investment plan soon became a long-term commitment to change the way young people live together. I've now built several successful businesses, I've raised millions of pounds of investment, and I've managed thousands of tenants. Join me and some very special guests to discover the tips, tricks, and hacks, the ups and the downs, the best practice, and everything else you need to know to start, scale, and systemize your very own HMO portfolio. Now. There's no getting away from it. HMO licenses are part and parcel of investing in HMOs. But I think I can save you some time, some money, and help you be more efficient when it comes to applying and executing on your HMO license. When you apply for your license is really, really important. So today I'm going to share a few quick tips with you. So if you're applying for your license soon or plan to be doing that in the near future, then today's episode is definitely going to help. So sit back, relax, do whatever you need to do, and please enjoy today's episode of the HMO podcast. Hey guys, it's Andy here. We're going to be getting back to the podcast in just a moment. But before we do, I want to tell you very quickly about the HMO Roadmap. Now, if you're serious about replacing your income, or perhaps you've already got a HMO portfolio that you want to scale up, then the HMO Roadmap really is your one-stop shop. Inside the Roadmap, you'll find a full 60-lesson course delivered by me, teaching you how to find more deals, how to fund more deals and raise private finance, how to refurbish great properties, how to fill them with great tenants that stay for longer, and how to manage your properties and tenants for the future. We've also got guest workshops added every single month. We've got new videos added every single week about all sorts of topics. We've got downloadable resources, cheat sheets, and swipe files to help you. We've got case studies from guests and community members who are doing incredible projects that you can learn from. And we've also built an application just for you that allows you to appraise and evaluate your deals, stack them side by side, and track the key metrics that are most important to you. To find out more, head to the hmoroadmap.co.uk now and come and join our incredible community of HMO property investors. Okay, welcome back. So today I'm going to share a few tips that I think will help you save some time and some money and be much more efficient when it comes to applying for your HMO property license. It's part and parcel of investing in HMOs. There's nothing we can do about it. And honestly, it can be quite a laborious and painful exercise. Sometimes it depends on your local council. It can really depend on your inspector, but we've got to do it and we've got to jump through a few hoops. But I've done a lot over my time. I'm normally doing several every year, several renewals every year as well. So I've picked up a few tips that I think can definitely help you be much more efficient and definitely save you a bit of time and save you a little bit of money. So that's what I want to share with you in today's episode. This is something that I think I see a lot of people talk about in the community. I see some questions asked around it and I think actually there's probably a a slightly better way to do this and a slightly better way to think about it. So before we dive into today's episode, just let's quickly remind ourselves when we need a HMO license. So mandatory licensing across the country requires any property with five bedrooms or five unrelated tenants or more to have a license. It used to be that that was only required if they were living on three or more floors, but that changed in 2018 to included any number of floors. So if you've got five tenants living in HMO or living in a property, then you need a HMO license. That's mandatory licensing. Now, there are selective and additional licensing schemes, which some councils implement. They need permission from the Secretary of State to do it. But essentially what that means is 
you might need a license for a three bed or a three or more bedroom property. It really will depend on exactly where that selective or additional licensing scheme is in place. But Liverpool's got one, for example, and other areas of the country do. Sheffield's got one. And you have to comply. It's essentially the same. It's the same HMO license. It just means that you have to get it for three or four tenants as well as five or more. Okay, so really, really simple. The cost of a license can really vary depending on where you are in the country. It's meant to be justified. The council are meant to be able to justify it based on the amount of time and administration and essentially what it costs. They're not meant to be profiteering from HMO licensing or processing HMO license. Honestly, I think that that's questionable when you look at the prices of some of them. Some are well into the thousands now. I think I'm typically paying about seven, eight hundred pounds per license now. So it's a lot of money. But anyway, when is the best time to actually apply for your HMO license? I think this is a really pertinent question to anybody who's maybe buying an, an existing HMO, buying a going concern, to anybody planning on doing a refurbishment. And one of the complications is, and I think that the thing that really prompts this question to be asked by people in the community, certainly as far as I've seen, is when the lender is asking for the HMO license. So part of the condition of any HMO license is that when you no longer own that property, or if you sell a property or HMO that has a license and you're you're named on that license, you are required to revoke that license. You actually have to revoke the license. And the only person that can apply for the license is the new license holder. Now, if you're buying a property, obviously you're going to be the person that applies for that license. You could actually get a manager to do it and apply for that license, but you still need to be on the license because you're an interested party, as will your mortgage lender be. So it baffles me that some mortgage lenders struggle a bit and insist that buyers provide a HMO license before they've actually bought it. What they can do is probably provide an old one if it exists. But let's say you were buying a property with a bank that understood that you were going to convert it to a HMO after doing a scheme of works. It wasn't a HMO before, but it will be afterwards. Well, of course, there's not an existing HMO license. And of course, you can't apply for a new HMO license until you at least own it. Yeah, I see a lot of lenders asking or insisting that this is supplied. And I think this is still because a lot of people certainly in the back office and finance departments at some of the lending companies don't understand what's actually involved. So you essentially can't get a license until you own the property. If you're buying a new property, you can't get a license that you're named on until you actually own it. That's the first thing to remember. So you're not going to apply for your license until after you've bought it. And if your lender's asking you for anything else, you need to just set the record straight with them. You need to tell them very clearly, you can't do that because you don't own it yet. And as soon as you do, you'll put that application in or when the time's right you'll put that application in this has come up several times uh it's happened to me before i've made it very clear and the lender usually just shuts up and lets you get on with the stuff let's fast forward let's say you've purchased the property and you're then planning on doing a scheme of works when do you actually apply for that hmo license right let's be really savvy about this you get five years on hmo license sometimes it's less it really again depends on the the local authorities there are some councils believe it or not that actually insist on you renewing every single 12 months. I mean, what a pain that would be. But every five years, typically, and you have to renew your license. You have to pay all of that money again. You have to get that inspector to come back out. Depending on the inspector and what the weather's like that day, they might ask you to do all sorts of things to satisfy them. But hey-ho, that's kind of the way that it goes. But 
because it only lasts for five years and because it's quite expensive, we don't really want to be paying for something that we're not actually using. Now, here's the legal requirement. You have to, by law, apply for a HMO license if it's required. Now, that could mean you could get your first four tenants in and only before getting the fifth tenant in, you apply for your HMO license. Fill the first four rooms, apply them for your HMO license, and then you can go ahead and get the fifth tenant in. You don't need to wait for your license to come through to get to, to get the fifth tenant in. Once you've made your application to the licensing department, you are okay. You are covered. And if you're going to do a refurbishment and then you're going to fill some rooms, that could take months. That could take six or nine months. So there's no point applying for your HMO license as soon as you buy the property. You may as well wait till you actually need it. And that could save you a lot of money. And there's another useful point here as well. When you do apply, the council is going to come and inspect it. Now, again, it depends from the council as to how quickly they will come and inspect that. The authorities that I work with are actually pretty good. I've got a good relationship with them. I work quite flexibly with them. And usually they're out within about two months, which is absolutely fine. In some areas, that's much longer. And honestly, in one council that I've worked with, it took them five years to come out and inspect. So I'm not joking. I had to chase and chase and chase. Five years it took them to come and inspect, which is unbelievable. But that's their legal obligation. They have to inspect within five years. So it's a bit unusual. But if you do apply for a license, they're going to come and inspect. And unless you want to be given a list of all sorts of work to satisfy that, then you've got to evidence and send back over and get documented. You may as well wait till you've got all of the works in your property actually done. So there's really no point getting a license or applying for a license or getting it inspected before your scheme of works is done. You need to make sure that all those fire alarms are in, all those fire doors are fitted, all the overhead closers are sorted out. You, you need to make sure that all of that's in place. You need to make sure that you've got all your certificates because when you do your application for your license, you've got to supply all of this information. You need to give it to them. So if you haven't got it or something's missing, you're going to be wasting a lot of time. And if they come around and inspect and you're still snagging, I haven't finished certain bits, they're going to have to document all of that. They're going to have to insist that as part of the conditions, you provide evidence back to satisfy that. And it's a real rigmarole. So again, no point getting them there before the works is completed. However, there's a caveat here. Some parts of licensing are quite great, particularly when it comes to things like fire alarms and emergency lights. It's really not that clear in the national framework what we actually need. You could interpret La Cause, which is the best, I suppose, guidance we have when it comes to fire safety in residential accommodation. So that's a document that talks and, and provides a lot of information about best practice for fire alarms and things like emergency lighting. But there are still grey areas to it and there are you know, still properties that really don't conform to exactly what's set out in that. A simple example would be, you know, there's, there's differences between a cohesive group and a non-cohesive group. So students and not students. What if you plan to use your property for six or nine months in the professional market, so non-cohesive, but you're just bridging to get into the student market, at which point it will become cohesive. What's the requirement there? What if your property's on three floors, but actually the fire escape route isn't quite a standard? You know, you don't just come down the stairs and out through a door. What if actually you come down the stairs and you have to go through an open plan kitchen diner to get to the only escape route? That's non-standard and that needs a bit more consideration. So 
maybe actually the council, the inspectorate, might want something like a panelled fire alarm system. So with these nuances and with these grey areas, certainly to some of the more expensive elements of licensing, like installing fire alarm systems, if you can get your council out a little bit earlier, that can be a really, really useful exercise to do. Now, again, this depends on your council. In some areas, you can actually pay for the council. The license seems to come out and give you a bit of advice before you actually apply. In the areas where I work, I've got that relationship and it's really good and they're quite happy to come out. And if I say to them, look, I've got a property, I think we know what to do, but there's a couple of things that I'd just like to run by you because if you want something different to what we're proposing or planning to put in, it's going to be a bit of a pain to then go back and change it in retrospect. So that could be moving an alarm system or putting a door somewhere else or something like that. So if you can get them out to have a look at the project while you're doing the work and look at the the overall amenity standards, the bedroom sizes, where you're planning on putting fire alarms and things like this, that can actually be really helpful and it can actually save you a lot of time and a lot of money. If you could do that in combination with a fire risk assessment, even better. Fire risk assessment is the best bet because if you get that, You've got it black and white. Here's what the fire assessor said. Give that to your inspector and usually they'll be perfectly happy with that. But remember, it'll usually be a mandatory condition of your HMO license to get a fire risk assessment anyway. So it makes sense to kind of do them around about the same time. So zooming back out, in summary, the best time to actually apply for your HMO license is as late as possible. So before you fill that fifth room, but not necessarily before you fill the fourth room, but if you can get them out a little bit earlier to look at your project and give you a bit of advice as you're doing the refurb, just to make sure that those grey areas are done the way that they would actually want it to be done to grant your licence, that could be really, really helpful. That's it for today's episode. I told you it was going to be a short one, but I hope that helps you. If you've got any more questions about this, head on over to the HMO community, our free group on Facebook. I know I tell you every single week about it, but I won't rest until everybody, all of our listeners are there hanging out in the community because it's a great place to ask questions and find guidance and support on anything, honestly, anything to do with building a HMO property business. And of course, if you want the detail, if you really want to level things up, if you want to take it seriously this year and build the business that you really want, then head on over to the hmoroadmap.co.uk. Everything you need and much, much more is waiting for you. That's it for today's episode. Don't forget, I'll be right back here in the very same place next time. So join me then for another installment of the HMO podcast. (laughs) 